Hi, my name is Michael Frank, and this is the Prefab Pod presented by Prefab Review, where we interview leading people and companies in the prefab housing industry. Today, we're speaking with Jeffrey Warner, the principal architect and owner of Alchemy. Welcome, Jeffrey. Hey, Michael. So I'm very excited to have you here. Thanks for uh, hanging in here with us during the weird time in our country. Um, And uh, I'm excited to learn more about your company. Uh, First, though, I was hoping to learn a little bit more about you. How did you get into this business? Uh, It depends on whether you're asking how I became an architect or how we got into the prefab sort of gig, if you will. Uh, Either one. It'd be great to hear the history. So I... Uh, in high school, I wanted to be an architect. I didn't exactly know why. So I went to architecture school um, and found out a lot of stuff about the art of architecture, which was a uh, really aligned with a lot of things I learned as a kid, you know, going to the Walker Art Museum and uh, uh, appreciated as an aesthetic um, process. Um, the one thing we didn't learn about as much in uh, college at the University of Minnesota was how to put things together. And so uh, at the end of school there, started building furniture uh, to learn how to put things together. And um, long story short, as working in an office for a little while, sort of decided that maybe uh, quitting and starting out with something that's, that's sort of more exploratory when I wasn't making any money anyway. Uh, you know, not working and learning how to build stuff yourself is probably a great way to do that. So that's what I ended up doing is basically doing furniture design, uh, working on bungalow renovations, small home renovations. Um, Minneapolis and St. Paul are, you know, littered with these little story and a half bungalows. So those were kind of our first projects. And so this design build is kind of how we got into, um, uh, you know, both sort of learning how to put things together, I would say, and, uh, and running a small nation design office, uh, which eventually became sort of a full, full-fledged architecture practice. The, um, and then did that, so did that start as alchemy or did alchemy come later? Yeah. You know, I, I, I worked out of my uh, bedroom almost like I'm doing today because of the, uh, the virus outbreak. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, by working on these these uh, uh, these small projects, you basically have a couple guys who go out and build something. So you're you're sort of doing it as a means to an end. Um, but the directness of designing and building, uh, you know, is is uh, sort of short circuits a lot of the things that that you um, you don't have to deal with and say of a full architecture office. But it actually, in a in a in a weird way, it teaches you really a lot about the more subtle aspects of uh, designing and, and connecting that to actually getting things built. Um, I also uh, shared a furniture design office with a bunch of people. And so we had, you know, the ability to um, do metal work and just experiment with a lot of different materials. Got so did you, so did you start out doing kind of site built homes, like sort of people have been doing forever? Or did no, you get you into know, prefab? Yeah, the, you know, some of the some of the first projects we did were small houses because that's what we were kind of, uh, you know, exposed to. Um, the Arado house was actually one of our first house design projects. It was really a practical solution to a problem which um, the owner had 
you know, bought a piece of land for 130,000 bucks and uh, had 50,000 left over to do, you know, a house or a cabin, a retreat. So, you know, that's not a lot of money, even in 2001. Uh, so we, we said, we, here's two, here's two solutions. The first one is we can give you a pole barn, which is a big ass space with nothing in it, or we can build you a little jewel box. And she says, Ooh, tell me more about the little jewel box idea. I said, well, it's not going to be very big. And uh, yeah, you don't have money for plumbing or actual electrical hookups, but you know, we can build this thing and, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, basically celebrate what's best about your site. Um, as a retreat and and that's it so that's what the first we house ended up being we actually ended up building it our in our uh, uh, well building it ourselves um, it kept us busy it also allowed us to kind of meet the budget sort of, sort of design and build at the same time but really only three of us built it uh, off-site as a way of also uh, sort of circumventing the lack of uh, contractors that were available sort of two hours away from our office where the site was. Got it. So, so that, so in terms of, so a lot of people, I think, know you best for the Wee House. Can you describe the Wee House and what, what makes a Wee House a Wee House? Yeah. So we didn't set out to, uh, so the name of our company, our architecture office is Alchemy. And um, the Wee House is sort of a subset of our office, which is um, named after our, our, uh, prefab design program. And um, it really came out of this project. And so basically what we looked at is the fact that the site was, as I said, two hours away from our office. Um, We thought, oh, wouldn't it be interesting to just build this thing as a box that we can, you know, put on a truck and uh, we'll build it in our parking lot and we'll put it on that truck and we'll bring it out to the site and we'll put it on its foundation. And that'll save us a whole lot of driving back and forth, et cetera. And our, and our workshop, you know, as I said, we were, we were in a workshop at that point. So it's like, we'll have all the tools basically right there. Does it seem like a great idea? Dual magazine. It wasn't really a thing yet. Um, my exposure to something called prefab modular housing is not something that I'd ever even heard of before. <laughs> And the only examples right. you had is like Jean Prouvé from the 20s or 30s or whatever that was, right? Yep. 40s, whenever. Uh, got it. So you, were, so you were really doing the first one because it sounds like you guys were more or less manufacturing it yourself. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like it was very much a practicality thing. Um, but anyway, obviously, like what, what year, not to, not to date anyone, you or me or anyone listening, what year was that? That was 2001. Oh, okay. That's not that bad. I, I, all right. Got it. So it wasn't pulled by a horse to get to the site. Got it. No, so. I'm not that old. I'm old, but not that old. Um, but okay. it, it is uh, interesting to think about how much things have changed since 2000. I mean, the birth of the internet was in the, you know, sort of mid to late nineties. And um, this was happening at a time when um, the economy was exploding. You had all that dot-com kind of stuff. And it was very expensive to get things built. And um, so really, this was a means to an end. Uh, what we did, so you asked earlier that I didn't answer your question yet about what the Wee House is and how, what we did for um, our client, Stephanie, is we, we just basically looked at uh, what, you know, the biggest load that we could kind of fit on a truck 
right on a truck. That's how everyone starts with this. Yep. Exactly. And so we said, all right, if, uh, if we stay under 14 feet, um, actually that means we don't really have to have very stringent permits. So we did that. We had a steel frame so we could bolt a porch on. And what we ended up with is something like if you are familiar with, uh, Donald Judd's concrete sculptures that look like, um, basically shoe boxes with the sides taken off. So basically a square, you know, rectangular tube in space is really exactly what the original Wee House uh, looked like. Interestingly enough, I didn't actually find out about Donald Judd sculptures until one of our first clients who saw the original Wee House said, lived in Marfa, Texas, where he, you know, lived and worked and did his art and said, we want a house just like that here. And when I found out that he'd done like whole fields of concrete Right. We house looking things. I said, "Hey, this is awesome." Yeah, that's cool. We'll we'll have to add we'll we'll add, we'll add a link to the show notes and they they literally are concrete boxes. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, so so are they? So when we're talking about the we house, it, it, are we? We're talking about something that's modularly built versus built as a kit. Um, sounds like you were building at least the first ones modularly, right? Yeah, we. Um, you know, anything that you stick, anything you make as a shoebox is, you know, referred to as a modular building. Um, right. You know, to the, you know, now we look at a lot of different ways. Basically, we just use, uh, well, let me back up. It's, 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 the nice thing about doing it that way is that you can build everything in that box and get it all done, put it on that truck and ship it out. And the inside's done completely the outside if you design it right uh, it can almost be done as well too which is the case of you know there that very small 350 yep. square foot house that we did that's so are, are you putting it are you putting appliances on the truck and stuff too or are those getting added in by a, a local builder afterwards uh in that case we probably included you know like an under counter refrigerator or something like in that um, actually in that case, it didn't have electricity. So it was probably just an ice box actually that she put Great. ice in. Got it. Um, cool. And then, and then, to, and then in terms of the evolutions today, so I assume you guys are using, th- you, you're using third party factories to, or second party factories, whatever you want to call it, you know, factories not owned by yourself to actually manufacture it. And you're focusing mostly on the design. Is that right? Yeah, so just to kind of continue the story in one minute or less, uh, basically yeah. a lot of people yeah. saw that project, which, as I said, was just a means to an end. And we thought, hey, this is, this is you know, maybe something we should tell people about. So it was in Midwest Home, no, not in Midwest Home, in um, Met Home, uh, and they put it in their holiday gift guide and said, here, buy this for your sweetie for Christmas, which we thought was a little weird. But a lot of people saw that article and said, hey, we, we want one of those. We want it just uh-huh. like that, but we want it to be 3,000 square feet. And uh, we, <laughs> we were like, well, the one we did was 300 square feet. So that's when we started researching factories to build these things. And uh, uh, we found out about, of course, the modular home industry, which had existed for decades. Um, and they were set up to do, as you know, uh, uh, not quite lowest common denominator housing, but just basically you know, focused on uh, inexpensive, quick housing solutions. And what we did is, is, you know, reach out to them as partners to try to just basically, 
include better materials and um, just more design value, I would say, to uh, to build these things. Got it. Um, and then, in, so, and then, so today, do you basically do you have like a kind of a network of a few factories you typically work with? Yeah, we've probably worked with over twenty factories at one point or another over the almost twenty years that we've been working on this um, process, and. You know, now we really rely uh, mostly on just a handful of factories who we will kind of meet, meet the uh, the quality and capability needs that we're looking for. Got it. So to push into that, um, I guess sort of two questions. One, can you, in no pressure if you can't, can you tell us who those factories are? And sort of secondly, what do you look for in a, like, how do you assess like the quality of a factory in terms of being a partner for you? So, you know, when we started doing this uh, originally in, in about 2003, I guess is when we thought we might do uh, more of a system, a design system, it was almost impossible to get any factories to work with us because they didn't need to, they were so busy and they didn't understand why, because there wasn't, um, uh, you know, there wasn't, well, as I said, dwell, this was sort of before Dwell Magazine, which right. was, you know, has been, yeah. right. Exactly. I mean, people didn't go visit the Internet and look through all this stuff. And we didn't have prefab groupies calling us up, you know, twice a week, uh, you know, wondering about what we're doing next. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're, we're direct beneficiary of this trend. Yeah. So uh, it was hard to get those first factories identified and, and along board. But um, eventually, you know, you. Um, by explaining and, and um, by by uh, really providing the answers for them and the processes to them to say, hey, here's how this design works. This is how you can execute it in your factory. Um, they started to realize that we actually did know how to think, put things together. And we really thought very uh, intentfully about that process and the buildability um, on their hand. And I think that that really helped at the beginning. So to your question was like, how do we know who's right to work with? Um, you know, now it has to do with uh, what what they're good at and how we can leverage their best capabilities to deliver the design, you know, with their capabilities where that might be. So for example, we're not doing all of our houses in a modular way. We're um, you know, we're working with plant prefab in California, for example, yep. who does the living ho- home and uh, also have a suite of architects. And so we're about to roll out something called the lighthouse with them. Oh, cool. They built a couple projects for us already um, on that. That's on sort of the, like the, the modular st- standpoint. And then we're also working with, say, Bensonwood on the opposite coast, who yep. is more of a panelized producer and we've had both of them on the podcast so far by the way <laughs> so yeah, yeah we know both of them exactly and i'd be surprised if you hadn't right so uh so you know you work with each of these uh outfits in different ways according to to you know what their main capabilities are would you use so again i'm not an expert but fairly uh, fairly familiar with Bensonwood and uh, right. Like, as you said, they're a kit provider, right. Um, or a panelized provider or whatever you want to call it. Um, so would you, what, does that mean you would not use them for sort of a typical we house because sort of structurally different or might you, or will you do that in a number of different ways? 
Well, you know, basically what we would do is look at, um, you know, the we're essentially doing a very large we house with them that is um, really takes advantage of a panelized process instead of a modular process. So by that, I mean, we do we also do something called barn houses. And if you think about a barn as being, you know, like barn space is a big, huge space, which doesn't really want to come in boxes. So we have a very modern design that takes advantage of their systems um, is very sustainable. So, you know, matching up the ethos of the project is being very sustainable, very low energy with a volumetric uh, delivery system, which, which really lends itself to panels and then combine that with the really high quality sort of couture uh, uh, materials and, and uh, uh, details in this project with their expertise and ability to get that through is, is, you know, makes them a great partner for us there. That makes sense. So typically uh, when you're deciding sort of the, do you do sort of just standard stick built stuff too still, or is it mostly kind of uh, panelized or uh, modular? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So yes, we do. Um, We, we have evolved initially thinking that we were going to, you know, people sort of treated us like we were, well, they'd call us up after this, Met Home article, for example, and when we sort of had very static um, Neanderthal kind of drawings online showing what our WeHouse system was like, and we thought, hey, we're going to be able to press a button, and uh, these houses are going to come out. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, wow, this is great. We're just going to order off a menu just like you do at McDonald's or whatever it is, and it's going to be great. Well, we, uh, you know, quickly discovered that that was impractical for a lot of different reasons. And I think that the fast forward to today, we look at every project as a combination of a lot of different kind of sometimes competing requirements. And what we do as architects is really try to match the delivery system to the tools that we have together and the needs design needs for that particular project. So that means that actually we have we houses that look like they should be built as modules that we sometimes build on site because it's just it matches the team, the local team better and the capabilities and the the costs or the opportunities uh, were, you know, mean that we went that route instead of doing it as a modular project. Right. I imagine that, right, like crane or site access may also. <laughs> also maybe does, how much does that play a significant part in sort of your choice on this right right i mean sometimes it has to do with like does it cost more to uh design it off-site and then put it on a truck because the you know like the labor costs in some rural areas are actually quite quite low and so you can employ really awesome craftsmen in the middle of nowhere if you can find those craftsmen which i mean you can a lot of times right and it doesn't need to be done in three months and done you know you've got like a year to build it or whatever it is and so it's like great let's build it with these guys who are awesome and they're going to build it on site and that's what we're going to do other places when we're delivering to san francisco for example it it totally makes sense to build it as a as a modular because you can drop it in as a box you don't have to tie up you know the street for more than an afternoon or whatever it is um, and, and you're basically, you're on your way. That makes sense. Um, so, uh, so tell me about like, 
can you tell me about like maybe one or two of sort of the coolest projects you've done so far and define cool however you want to define it most interesting etc <laughs> um, oh boy so now you, you got me on a spot because um you know it's funny we get a lot of uh we've created a very uh, open-ended design system. Mm -hmm. And so we get a lot of clients who bring their own sort of thoughts and dreams into into, uh, where these projects are going to go. And so we're continually learning from our our, uh, clients. You know, we have unbuilt projects for the tops of skyscrapers that were real projects. Uh, that we didn't end up building, which are still nonetheless actually really interesting. Um, we got to work with uh, the head architect at Apple and do a project for you know himself and his own land. And you know he was actually really inspired by the original Wee House um, and maybe the Marfa Wee House, which were very you know just very very simple, almost platonic iconic projects and he basically wanted to do it just sort of that same way but just really kind of um uh be able to bring up some more building quality and a little bit more geeking out on the architecturalness of it and so that project actually uh has you know was really a great example of what you can do kind of on a higher end which is still actually quite modest by most custom architectural standpoints and just a question. So we deal with people all throughout the country. Uh, and yeah, uh, but I mean, but we do do a lot of customers who come to us are, you know, on one coast or the other. Uh, what is, so when you, when you're speccing out a project, right? Like, I mean, I can tell you, right. Cause I've had three calls about them today. Uh, like sort of average cost in different areas. But what, what do you think when, when you're talking about, the cost of sort of a custom project in sort of the Midwest versus maybe one of the coasts, how much of a discount are people seeing? Cause the sort of occasional question I get is, Hey, I just want to build something cool somewhere. This is a second home. <laughs> like what's it going to cost, which is incredibly broad and incredibly hard to answer, but just right. sort of interesting kind of the range of costs on your projects. Cause it sounds like you have a lot of sort of breadth in terms of geography of where you build. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question that we, you know, I'm, I grew up in the Midwest and, um, I'm driven by kind of a farmer ethos about, um, this sort of practical hands-on sensibility and really an admiration for the poetics of the industrial and agrarian landscape. Right. And so I am really attracted to sheds and barns and the quality of light you kind of get inside and around those kind of things that can be transported to just about anywhere in the country. And the uh, way of achieving that in other parts of the country, I think people understand that kind of way of thinking. And so we, we, um, we try to import what the practical solutions are to these things to areas where um, it's not necessarily the lowest common non denominator building. And so, sort of naturally we go where there's, um, you know, the East and West coasts, um, primarily, uh, California and, you know, Oregon, 
Washington and and uh, up in the Northeast, where you know developing modern small projects of really high quality is something that um, you can do a really nice job, but it's 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 more of a case of like who most architects are already busy doing like, you know, one and a half, $2 million houses and up. And so finding somebody to do a half a million dollar project is actually quite hard to do because it's pretty much as the same amount of work to do a half a million dollar job as it is to do a $2 million job. Got it. Um, so uh, last question before we jump to our fire round. Uh, what, if anything, are you, are you most excited about it? Or what are your plans to sort of scale or do different things with your company going forward? Uh, right. Like we hear from a lot of people, hey, this ADU trend is something we're going to focus on a lot. Are you basically, are there in terms of the way the world looks now versus maybe a few years ago, are you planning to do anything sort of different with your company? So I'll answer that in sort of two parts. The first is just about the industry in general. I mean, I'm excited that the fact that this is just, um, there's more awareness um, of the process and the technology and why you would do it. There's a awareness of the sort of the state of, of the need for sustainability and to use our resources on earth wisely. And there's also a uh, bigger awareness that sort of, uh, you know, less, less is more. So on our own side, um, we've spent a lot of time really embracing the idea of small dwellings and sort of the quality of, of living small, the luxury of less. And so this um, the latest project that we're working on, this latest effort that we're rolling out initially with plant is uh, the Lighthouse ADU, um, which is a, just a small dwelling of about 500 square feet for both, uh, you know, eight accessory dwelling units and guest houses. But it's, it's flexible enough to be adaptable to a lot of different um, sites in terms of how you access it and in terms of how you look out, how it takes in, you know, the wind and the sun and all that kind of stuff. And it can be achieved, you know, pretty, pretty quickly. But above all, it's, you know, sustainable, um, it's well-crafted, it's beautiful, and it's actually aspirational rather than just being, um, uh, you know, a need to be somewhat inexpensive or something. Got it. Um, all right. So let's uh, jump into uh, what we call our fire round. Uh, these are questions that <laughs> we get constantly on our site. Um and uh, yeah, it's great to be able to tap in experts like yourself to get answers. So if possible, try to limit yourself to one minute or less per question, but we, we, we won't come down on you too hard if you don't. Um, so first question is, what should a, uh, what should a, a high quality architect cost if I'm looking into paying for an art, like I cut an architect for my project? <laughs> so, you know, a lot of architecture. Uh, like, we oftentimes we see percentage of project costs. Um, we've, we've seen a, a number of different models. So it'd be great to understand that. I think it depends on what that architect is doing. You know, we plug in um, at somewhere probably around 15% of the project budget, which is actually pretty common. Um, you could go up to 20%, you could go down to 10%. But I think that you can also get a lot of value out about it working with someone on a limited basis in which you're putting the most work uh, in for the 
sort of highest value of that work on a consultant basis. Got it. Um, that makes sense. In terms of, uh, it's the next question. Uh, I know you, as part of your standard process on your brochures, you talk about a, a feasibility study. What's involved in the feasibility study? In the last couple of years, what we've realized is the best way to leverage um, this suite of pre-designed um, houses is to use not only our built projects, but the conceptual background for the WeHouse program, for example, and the barn house program and the lighthouse as starting points for people to really quickly um, you know, discuss with us what things that they're both practically open to and also kind of um, uh, ideologically or, or aesthetically open to. And so what we do is we go out on these, these uh, kind of very intense one to two day site visits where we basically are planning the whole project uh, that carries all the way through from that initial site visit. Got it. That's cool. Um, and is that, is that a requirement that basically you're always going to site to do a project? I really feel like the site is almost more important to the to the outcome of the project than even the houses. Um, and so we really feel like meeting people, understanding them, having them understand us goes so far through the whole project. Um, you really become kind of married to each other through the course of the project. And so it's the place to design uh, or to build the trust in and to really understand the subtle, uh, maybe unspoken requirements of any project, as well as, of course, just understanding the site. I mean, there's so many things you can't appreciate about the site and the opportunities about the surrounding areas um, that really, you, you know, have to be done in person on site. Um, and then uh, can we talk about integrating solar. I mean, it's something that you're more or less required to do in California right now. And I'd say probably the majority of projects we're involved with have some kind of solar renewable component. Um, how do you think about that as an architect? And are you seeing the same thing? Uh, we're putting solar on our own house, which was actually a wee house that was uh, built for uh, some other people in 2007. And so um, even in Minnesota, yeah, my personal yeah. house. Uh, so we're putting, I, I mean, I feel like, that only makes sense. Um, the there's a couple different ways of thinking about solar. I mean, once you put on solar, the um, then you're using more electricity, right? And so you're designing a house to use less energy. We start by by saying, like, we're we're going to give you uh, as close of a sort of a practical passive house envelope as possible, which means we don't want to have the house need. Uh, well, we want to have it use as little heating and and uh, cooling as possible as a starting point. And then you add on the electrical kind of components for your, um, in California, it's almost all electric now. And so having those solar panels to offset that electrical uh, usage is, you know, it pairs very closely with the passive design. Um, okay, and then final question, um, and apologies, we ask this to everyone every, every uh, episode, and I sort of kind of asked you this question already, so. <laughs> apologies in advance what are you most excited about for sort of your company or the industry in the near future uh i think it, actually this the lighthouse that we're developing um is going to really be uh as close to the idea of house as ipod if you know what i mean 
Um, and you notice I said iPod rather than an iPhone. <laughs> but the 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 ability to bring um, you know practically deliver design in a package, which is kind of closer to actually pressing a button and making that uh, roll out in in a whole bunch of different ways, either whether it's modular or site built or panelized or kitted out. I think is is going to be something that people are going to appreciate when they they see some of the examples of of some of the things that we're working on now and we've already completed. Awesome. Um, okay. Uh, thanks so much, Jeffrey, for being on this. It's been terrific to learn about Alchemy and WeHouse and everything you're doing. Uh, to learn more uh, for p- people at home, you can visit alchemyarc.com. Um, and you can also always uh, you know, visit us at uh, prefabreview.com for broad coverage of the industry. Thanks again. Thanks a lot, Michael.